Mini episode 1302 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1302. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And we are here today to engage in something we have done previously on this show many, many times, which is to take a look at the NFL at mid-season. And what we specifically will be doing today is bringing in fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary Chris Galloway for these purposes. And uh, because uh, we are always fond on the show of such wordplay here, uh, I will note that uh, Chris is fully qualified to come in and help us audit the NFL at midseason, and dare I say, Chris has a mandate to come in and audit the NFL at midseason with us. So with that said, Chris Galloway, welcome back in, my old friend, as we take a look at the AFC here in midseason. Thank you, Rick, and uh, I would suggest that that mandate is probably only valid in one county. (laughs) Well, Chris, this, this show is global. It can be heard anywhere. We'll extrapolate that mandate globally for you. For these purposes, anyways. <laughs> there you go. So, as we always look, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be joining you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, always uh, fun talking on any topic with you, as we have going back to 2007 on the show, and uh, previously, many times off air, going back to certain dorm rooms and off-campus apartments back at the Harvard on the Hocking back in the day, but. Uh, when uh, we, as memory serves, once in a while we talked football then too. But uh, as I have said previously on the show, uh, I had said this, I think, last year, uh, 2019, that uh, the year that we met, 1990, was the last year I ever had optimism for the Cleveland Browns, and I did going into 2019. We'll take a look, obviously, as we're doing the AFC, we'll touch on the Browns here in 2020. It looks like I was just a year early on that, although... Uh, past the trading deadline here, I do have some bones to pick, uh, smaller though they may be than usual. But uh, let's just start by taking a look here at the, the whole kind of landscape that we're dealing with. We anticipated this coming into the season, what we we're going to be dealing with with the COVID-19 situation. And thus far, there had to be some games rescheduled. And I've said to the guys in my fantasy football league, some of my good friends, you know, when we were dealing with the disruptions and guys being out, games being postponed, like, I don't know, this still feels like less than we were expecting in August. You know, like when our fantasy football leagues, when our commissioner set down all these things, well, if this happens, we're going to be ready for this and all these things here. So in the one sense, it's unprecedented. And in another sense, what we've dealt with thus far doesn't feel like as bad as it could have been in August, particularly given the challenges of playing outside of a bubble. How do you see it? Well, I think overall the NFL's done a really good job of containing this thing and being able to move forward with their games. Um, I don't think they're out of the woods yet, and I, I think that they obviously should be working on some contingencies if they need to move the Super Bowl back three or four weeks. 
Um, you know, they should, they should, I thought they should have at least initially built that flexibility in with extra five weeks right out of the gate, to be honest. Um, and, uh, for, for a couple of reasons, one, knowing you'd probably have to cancel and reschedule some games. Two, this year, as you and I discussed in our preseason previews, the belief that we were going to see a lot of soft tissue injuries. Yes. Uh, and putting a lot of guys on the shelf uh, for multiple weeks. And we've seen that. Our worst, our worst fears have come true. And I just think, you know, had they built in a few extra bye weeks that um, – and just done it out of the gate, they would also would have given the players a better opportunity to get that little bit of extra rest in a season where they didn't get the preseason work. Um, I think it just would have been a helpful thing for all the organizations, regardless of, you know, whether they have a game canceled due to COVID or, you know, a facility being shut down. I mean, we've seen teams have to deal with missing many players to COVID, shutting down their facility and not being able to practice the week of a game. I mean, these are real disadvantages to a squad, especially with the lack of offseason. So I think by and large, the league does a good job to keep the train on the tracks and keep it moving. Um, they're not out of the woods because I do think that, you know, as we're seeing now, um, both in the U.S. and globally, the, uh, you know, the sort of a resurgence of second wave of, of the virus and, um, you know, there's, there's still a real possibility as we get into the cold months, we get into that typical flu season where suddenly we could have, you know, potentially big outbreaks. So um, I think there all to be in the clubs, other than some minor issues here with a few clubs like the Raiders and the Titans, you know, uh, using somebody like the Cleveland Browns as an example, they've gone to great extremes to do everything they can from a protocol standpoint to make sure that they're keeping their people uh, as safe as they possibly can, um, and that's so, so credit goes to the league for I, you know, you, you know, you remember Rick. A lot of people said, "Oh, they're going to have to have a bubble. Oh, they can't do this without a bubble." And of course, a lot of us, I even said, it, "Like, how do you do football in a bubble? There's too many people. It's not, it's not the NBA. Um, it's just, you know, the teams are larger, the support staff are larger. You know, you know, you're going to play games all in two stadiums. I mean, like, how's that work?" So it wasn't a reality for the NFL logistically to do a bubble. And, and that said, I think with the reality that they've been dealt, they've done a good job. I was one of the people that I, I thought they should have explored it, but I do agree with what you're saying. There's too many logistical challenges probably looking at it now to have pulled off. I agree with everything you're saying there. They're certainly not out of the woods yet. Uh, the spikes this past week have been shocking, not merely going over 100,000 cases domestically for the first time, but 125,000 cases. Optimistically, in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia has had an extremely mild flu season preceding us, and there's hopes that that will be the case here. Uh, as well, but we don't know. It's not necessarily predictive. Hopefully it will be in that regard. But uh, yes, the medical system is already under a lot of strain. Field hospitals being readied in places such as Utah and Wisconsin. So yes, the worst is yet to come this winter. Hopefully the NFL can make it through that. You talked about the lack of preseason, and of course that leads into, uh, it, 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 there's always a debate whenever these things happen here about, uh, you know, is the offense going to be ahead of the defense or vice versa? Sort of the equivalent of pitching versus hitting in, in baseball. 
of who's always going to be ahead when there's not a lot of lead time thus far. Answered early on, the offense has been way ahead of the defense. I did read a very interesting story on CBS Sports this morning about how uh, third down defense in the league has been sort of putrid, and that is a reason that uh, scoring has kept up because teams keep going on drives. By, by the way, and, uh, I know the Browns aren't the worst in third down defense, but uh, they've certainly given up enough prolonged drives. If you've watched as much Browns football as I have this year, anecdotally that makes sense to you. Tennessee has basically a historically putrid third down defense to this point. It seems to me for them that'll probably even out the rest of the way, but any thoughts, theories, whatever on, on that part of it? Because you did call the soft tissue injuries thing, and my phone was blowing up with texts from you every time somebody got hurt early in the season, as you pointed out your predictions. But as far as, as, far as this part here, as far as the offense being way ahead, uh, again, this is a golden age of offensive innovation in the league. Teams like the Browns were putting in new systems, as I pointed out previous to the season, that other teams weren't going to have film on. You said it would be a lot like college football at the beginning of a season where teams wouldn't have film on the other teams with no preseason. But thoughts, generally speaking, on uh, why the offense is so drastically ahead of the defenses at this point? Well, I think first, I think we've seen the teams that had no changes in their schemes and quarterbacks and coaching um, in the first half of the season are ahead of the teams that had change. Uh just about universally. We expected that, especially without an offseason. The teams like that have been together, coaching consistency, same quarterback, they're they're just they're in a better spot. I, I expect that to even out over the second half. Um, I, I think honestly, Rick, I don't know how much of it is just the season, um, or whether it's just that we're reaching a point where the league is getting what they wanted. They've made so many changes to the rules and to and to handcuff defenses to up points because the league understands where their bread is buttered. People love offense. People love scoring. Fantasy football is a huge money maker now for the NFL in terms of driving eyeballs, marketing, and everything else. And you can't have fantasy football that's worth a damn if every game is seven to three. So they know that they've been driving it towards this, uh, you know, a reality where the offenses are going to score a lot of points. And I think to your, to your other point, um, some of the innovation that's now spilling over from college and, and the RPOs and these quarterbacks that are becoming more dual threat, um, you know, I, let's be honest, that between the defensive changes and the off, you know, the handcuffing and the offensive changes, we are in a golden age of quarterbacks. Yes. We, we have more quarterback success now coming out of college and into the NFL. You know, you know, it used to be, you know, draft a quarterback and one out of 10 succeed at best. Now you've got honestly six, seven out of 10 are succeeding. Yeah. Um, that's, that's because the game is changing, and and, and, and it's also changing in uh, because the NFL is, is is in some ways simplifying their offenses, you know, adapting more of the college. And I think we're just I think the explosion in scoring is probably more because that's now really ripe now that that fruit is ripened now in the NFL. It's taken several years; we've seen it coming, and I and I think that you know that's. Those grapes are now, they're ready to eat. 
And and so now you've got quarterbacks like Justin Herbert who just who had a lot of, you know, people doubting whether he'd be a good NFL quarterback. He just steps in as a rookie and he's just crushing it. Yep. Um you know, it's we, we didn't used to see that. And uh now now, honestly, remember we always used to say you got the quarterback like, well you gotta give him three or four years. Right. That you can't judge him on the first year. Honestly, now you kinda can. You know? If you're a team, you can look you can give a quarterback two years and go, Nope, you're not it. Bye bye. Uh, we'll move on and grab the next guy. Uh, honestly, I think we've reached that point. So I, I think that it's a little bit of both. I, I think that you've had some teams with some turnover. I think you, and I just, but I think the biggest thing is it's not necessarily a COVID thing or a 2020 thing. I just think it's this several years in the making uh, and it's been building to the point now where with the rule changes on the defense and all the new, uh, the offensive adaptation from the college schemes, that now we're just scoring is just through the roof now. It's, it's finally arrived in its full form. What an excellent point. Yes, I think that is a, a very, very much accurate. That uh, yes, this is a culmination of what's been happening over the years as far as quarterbacks go. Yeah, both uh, Herbert and uh, our boy, the Bobcat at heart, Joe Burrow. Uh, you look at uh, the immediate success that they have had. Uh, with uh, challenging circumstances around them on those teams to varying degrees. And I think also, too, uh, as far as making instant impressions on quarterbacks, yes, uh, Josh Rosen has been through the NFL equivalent of speed dating now in a couple of different locations. So judging quarterbacks earlier is definitely becoming a thing. And uh, that's actually a good segue well, to... Well, and honestly, for, Cle- for mm-hmm. Cleveland fans, that's the problem for right now for Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I know there's been system changes. I know there have been, you know, he has not been dealt a great situation, right? Right. But he's in year three, and you're watching him, and you're watching Joe Burrow, and you're watching Justin Herbert, and you're going, we, we, we don't have a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, there are moments, you know, the second half of that Cincinnati game, or I should say the last few quarters, but most of the season for Baker Mayfield has been subpar. And so I don't think it's unreasonable for Browns fans to look and go and look at what these other QBs are doing and go, uh, clearly this guy in the new NFL, not based on what it was 10 years ago, but the way it is now, it's like, what's wrong? Now, I will say, let's see what happens with OBJ out yep. next week. Guys come back healthy. I, I'm not I'm not done on Baker yet. Um, I definitely want to see where his trajectory goes the rest of the year. But he's a great example of where now you compare him to somebody like a Herbert or a Burroughs, and you go, you and I had this conversation before the season. I even te- I remember we had a text conversation, and I said to you, um, you know, right after the draft, uh, or right before the draft, I said, would you, right before the draft, I said, would you trade Mayfield to the Bengals plus our number one to get Burrow? And you and I both said yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you see why now at this point. And that's where, and again, you know, Baker is definitely the fourth quarterback in this division. That is not necessarily uh, an insult when you look at this division and that it is more or less tied on a regular basis with the NFC West for toughest division in football. Uh, one division that is not, uh, and there is one team at the top, and it is because of a fellow quarterback, among other things. It's because of a fellow quarterback from the class of 2018, Josh Allen, uh, you look at the Buffalo Bills, and they are six and two, leading the division here at this point. Miami four and three at midseason. New England two and five. The Jets zero oh and eight. 
there are many divisions here in the AFC where things aren't wildly different than what we would have expected at the beginning of the season. And I look at this division, and uh, Miami might be up just a shade from what we might have thought, and certainly they started rough but have recovered. New England might be down just a shade from what we would have imagined. A lot of us pictured them as probably about a 500 team. I thought the Jets were going to be awful, but I thought they'd at least win three games for the season. What did I know? Two or three games. They're not going to really manage that at this point. They're historically bad. So the AFC East is just, again, around the margins. Buffalo at 6-2, and two, probably they're definitely not as good as their record. I think we would agree. But not many surprises in this division. Teams may just be off a little bit from what we thought coming in. Uh, this division is pretty much right on par with what we, what we thought. We thought the Bills would be good, that we thought they'd lead the pack and they'd win the division. Um, I, I think I had, and I don't have it in front of me. You could probably remind me. I thought I had the Patriots at six and ten. I think so. Um, yes. I was not a, I, I was not a believer in them, and I and I come back to Bill Belichick's fifty-one and sixty-five record as a head coach without Tom Brady. Yep. Um, despite everybody else in the world saying he's the greatest coach ever and a genius, I've never bought into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look at I look at his body of work without Tom Brady, and he's below five hundred. Yep. Period. And that includes the 11-5 and season with Matt Castle with what was otherwise, other than quarterback, a really great Patriots team. Right. Um, so, you know, if you were to take that record out, uh, he, he's, his, his coaching record is dismal. Um, so, I, didn't, I never believed in the Patriots. Uh, they had too many guys sitting out. They had a huge hole at quarterback. And I, I just... That was too many question marks. So um, they're kind of right on pace for what I thought. They may actually just end up underperforming. They might not even get to 6-10. Um, but the re- you're right. The rest of that division has come along. I've been very impressed with Josh Allen. Uh, I know he struggled the last couple weeks. But, you know, how, you know, when is the last time we saw a guy improve their accuracy from college to pro? Right. Yeah. Doesn't happen and much. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. And the fact that it's not like he's improved it by two points, he's improved it by like what twelve percentage points. That's right. He's gotten much better. Right. Um, I still, I still think he's kind of shaky in accuracy on the deep ball, but that that's probably just never going to be fixed. But uh, it's a real testament to Sean McDermott and his staff, and to Josh Allen's work ethic that he's put in the time. He clearly made the effort to become a better quarterback, and that is so rare and almost nearly impossible to become a better quarterback at the highest level. Sure. So kudos to him. I, I think that's the thing that jumps out to me. And Miami, look, their their program and their they clearly have great synergy between their head coach and their GM. They're moving in the right direction. Yep. Uh, if you're a Dolphins fan like you are, yep. you, you've got to be happy about what you're seeing. Um, you know, and, and I think the only thing you, you can actually look at right now, and it, it's way too early, is – is Tua going to be the guy? Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I, I think there were, despite some of the high praise, I still think there were question marks coming out of Alabama. The historical failures of Alabama quarterbacks under Nick Saban, uh, Tua's height versus his athleticism. He's not he's not this shifty and fast like a Russell Wilson. Um, in some ways, he's kind of a little bit more like Baker in terms of size and ability to scramble and whatnot. Sure. Um so, uh, although two is more athletic than Baker, I mean, hell, I'm more athletic than Baker, <laughs> and I'm a fat 48-year-old man. Um, so, uh, 
I, I don't think if you're the Dolphins, you definitely need to see two of the rest of the year to the point that we just made about getting new quarterbacks every couple of years um, until you find the one you, that works because uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on Tua to see if he, in fact, uh, can be what he was at Alabama. Yep. And the Jets, why don't we talk about the Jets? They're awful. They're terrible. Adam Gase is going to play out the string this season, and he's going to get dumped. Uh, I, I feel bad that the Jets ruined Sam Darnold. Right. Um, That's a crime. You know, may, maybe they... Maybe they can deal him to somebody else uh, for some picks. There is also, a, uh, uh, you know, there is, you could also give thought that if you get a better coach, a better, you know, quarterback coach, that may, and you, you, you beef up that O-line more, that maybe Sam Donald isn't ruined. And if you put him in the right system with a better coaching, um, maybe you keep Sam and you sell the number one pick for a massive haul and you use that haul to to basically just fill the cupboard in all the positions that are lacking on your on your team. You know, maybe if Sam had a better team around him, uh, you know, the end result wouldn't be so bad. Well, I mean, ruining uh, Trevor Lawrence after you've ruined Sam Darnold, I, I struggle to think. I mean, it's almost like going from the tragedy of World War One to the tragedy of World War Two. I mean, I struggle to come up with an analogy, but it'll be much worse. To, to ruin Trevor Lawrence, and you know what a big homer I was for Sam Darnold, so that says something. But, uh, yeah, Trevor Lawrence, if anything could make him stay uh, at Clemson another year, it might very well be that. As far as it goes with Tua in Miami, again, yeah, I, I've always said Dolphins are my 1A team. I haven't had this kind of enthusiasm for the Dolphins since the late Dan Marino years, so it's, it's looking good for me on a, at least a medium-term basis with both of the teams I root for. Uh, in the league. Uh, the other team I root for on a medium-term basis is looking good. We'll talk about that in this division here. The AFC North, right now I have it listed in my weekly power rankings. Uh, you can find those, of course, every week at the FDH Lounge Multimedia Magazine, the fdhlounge.blogspot.com. I have the AFC North as the toughest division in football right now. You've got Pittsburgh at the top 7-0. and That's the one surprise thus far. You and I picked them as a playoff team, but not nearly to this degree. Baltimore 5-2, and two. they've been about as tough as we've expected. Cleveland 5-3, maybe a little bit of a surprise in terms of the record. We didn't expect that the, the Browns' record was going to be as marshmallow soft as it's been this year. The schedule and uh, the schedule in the second half is more of the same. Cincinnati 2-5-1, and one, about where we expected. And you look at this here, uh, again, Pittsburgh tougher than we expected. I didn't know what Roethlisberger was going to come back like this year. Um, I heard all these things about uh, you know the, the the defense even being better than last year, and I, I didn't really tend to believe that, but it has been. As far as the Browns go, I'm going to give credit for everything that's been done. I think Kevin Stefanski probably should be the front runner for Coach of the Year at this point. Uh, the Browns are what they are. When they face you know a, a really good team, they get squashed. When they face teams they should beat, they generally tend to beat them. But it's a thing where. I've been looking at this all along, and as much as I'm going to give credit to the front office for doing a good job by and large, uh, some of the excesses of analytics can be never planting your flag and living for today and not valuing linebackers. And at the trade deadline, those two things came together, like chocolate and peanut butter, unfortunately. Uh, there should have been a trade to try to upgrade linebacker, to try to upgrade safety. This back seven is dog crap. 
Partially because of injuries, yes. I, I, I can only imagine what this defense will look like with Grant Delpit in there, but Grant Delpit hasn't been there. Greedy Williams hasn't been there. The linebackers, again, I said in the offseason, I wouldn't have let Joe Schobert go, and I hate to be the one to tell you I told you so, but uh, the, the Browns are doing really well. They're moving in the right direction, but uh, I, I can't help but be cynical and think that with the attention of the world focused on Election Day on Tuesday, it's a perfect day to just put your hands in your pockets and say, hey, what do you want us to do? No trades to be made. I might believe that, if not for the fact that over the last couple of years, the Browns have been in the top five consistently in unused cap room. This is a pattern, and it comes from ownership, which is the one thing I'm still not fond of with this team. And for all I know, the owners might have said, nope, sorry, not taking on any additional salary, uh, in which case the future is bleaker than we would like it to believe uh, in Cleveland. So, General thoughts on the AFC North, Chris Galloway? Well, I think it's shaking out just how we thought. I think, um, you know, we, we both thought maybe Baltimore edges out Pittsburgh in that top spot, but um, we, we knew Pittsburgh would be good. Um, look, Pittsburgh was, look, they, they almost made the playoffs with a quarterback named Duck. Right. Um, they're well coached. They're well coached. They're a deep team. They got Ben back. Um, you know, so it, we knew they were going to be better. Uh, are they as good as their record? I'm still not really convinced of that. But they, look, they're getting it done, so you can't argue with it. Right. Um, I, I may still be the only guy in America who still does not believe in the Lamar Jackson. Uh, uh, but it's, <laughs> I, I just think as time goes by, teams are going to continue to figure him out. Um, he's regressed in certain areas in terms of passing this year. And, and I think that's the case as teams, again, start to dial in and build systems around uh, uh, figuring him out. And, um, you know, one of the things the Browns did, uh, I believe, that drafting of Delta and Phillips was a direct response to Lamar Jackson. Right. Um, what little bit we've seen of Phillips at linebacker this year, um, because of injury, unfortunately, has impressed the hell out of me. I mean, that guy is he, his linebacker we got, and he is fat. Yes. Um, I think I think we may end up seeing that the analytics are right on that guy, and the grading on him coming out of college was all wrong. Um, I, I've, I'm I'm keeping an eye on him because I think he may end up being the real deal, and he's exactly a guy you draft, so you spy and you use him to go after Lamar in a game. Right. Um, I disagree with you on Schobert. The price point versus the return didn't justify. And I'll tell you right now, Jacksonville fans are sitting there going, why did we find this piece of crap to a $20 million deal? Um, they, they're not happy with him. He has played awfully. Pretty bad. He's rated badly this year. Um, so I... I don't know that that was the wrong decision to let Joe go. Um, right now, I would actually disagree with you and say, eh, uh, he's not playing great in Jacksonville, and that was a lot of money to pay a guy who's not going to play great. Um, so I agree with you that the linebackers are a massive problem. And I think that they, look, I think the front office wanted to see what they had in Phillips, Wilson, and Taki Taki, right? They had these young quarterbacks who are supposed to, or uh, rather, young uh, linebackers that are supposed to be quick and, you know, 
really wanted to see what they had. Um, I think Taki Taki's shown that he is a filler and a special teams guy. Um, I didn't like that pick when they made it. I remember I remember that was the one that was uh, the big special. Did Dorsey let Wolf uh, take the pick? Right. In round three, and that's who he picked. Right. And and I remember telling you, and I think I did it on this show, that I was not a believer in Wolf. I, the kid does not impress me. Every time I watched him be interviewed, he didn't strike me as that smart. And I, I wasn't in, didn't like the pick in round three of Taki Taki. And I'm glad he's gone because he showed me everything. I think that kid is gravy training on his father's name. Um, and, and I said it then, and I'll keep saying it. Somebody proved me wrong. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, again, I don't fault the front office for not blowing the, the you know, the, the bank on, you know, some linebackers. And, and, you know, when you've got young linebackers that you do need to see what you got, I mean, what if you, what if they, what if they performed and you didn't need to go up and get some veteran? Um, but, you know, to your point there, it certainly was lacking. I don't know that other than Phillips, to be honest, I don't think any of these linebackers could even possibly not be back this year. That is possible. Um, you know, yeah. other than other than maybe depth, you know, depth and special teams. Uh, Wilson is not impressed. Uh, now I know he had the knee injury, and I'm sure that's hampering him. But uh, I, I'm not seeing it in Matt Wilson either. Um, so uh, he looks kind of slow. And then, um, so I think that's going to be a focus in the offseason. I think you're right. I think it needs to be. And the other thing on trades, I will say this, and, and again, I think this is definitely the case with analytics, is look, we don't know how many phone calls Andrew Berry had. I'm sure he had a lot of them about different trades, right? But unless you, unless somebody is willing to move at the value that you believe somebody's worth, let's say, let's use a guy like J.J. Watt. We'll talk about in the next division. Um, it's clear that JJ Watt should have been dealt, and the Texans have an unrealistic value placed on him versus other teams in the NFL. There are other teams in the NFL that could use a guy like that, even if he's not the guy he used to be. Even the Browns could use that. Um, but if they're going to insist on a ridiculous price, you're not going to make that deal. So, um, you know, I, I think another one is a guy like Njoku. I think because of injuries, I think the Browns decided to hold on to him this year. Right. Unless somebody met their price. Um, but again, what's, you know, what are you getting for Njoku at this point? I mean, wouldn't the Packers have made a lot of sense there? Right. You know, maybe they weren't willing to give up more than a sixth, and the Browns said, no, we want a four, and they couldn't come to an agreement. Um, so, I mean, it's clear the Browns will deal with him in the offseason. There's no reason to keep him around. Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the division is exactly where we expect it to be. Cincinnati, look, they just got to build that lineup and 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 build that team around Joe. They've got their quarterback. Their future is solid. Yep. Uh, just draft well, build that line, protect him at all costs. I mean, we've seen if you if you keep him clean, he's going to kill you. Right. Yeah. He's been amazing, no question about it. The one thing I would just say on Joe Schobert, in fairness, is what he is surrounded by on a Jacksonville defense where they clearly entered the season tanking. Week one might have fooled us, but they're tanking this year. I, I just think he would be making more of a difference here. 
And as far as it goes with the linebacking core, uh, I think maybe Andrew Barry was a little bit too much of a Wilson Phillips fan back in the day, and I think maybe that's clouding his judgment. He keeps listening to their tunes a little bit too much, and you know, so unfortunately, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that. Okay. You know. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it is. It is. But that's the kind of thing you can expect from me as far as insights go. But uh, as we go to the AFC South. Uh, I think the general theme we'd be looking for is a whole lot of meh, because there's nothing that's super impressive here. Tennessee is still a top 10 team in the league, but defensively, and it's been exposed the last couple of weeks, uh, if they don't tighten up, they're going to be one and done in the playoffs. Indianapolis, uh, you know, not to say I told you so, but I said they were going to be up there this year. I said that they would uh, be able to survive this stage of Philip Rivers' career, and they've basically been able to do that, even with a running game that has not lived up to expectations yet. Marlon Mack being not a part of the equation has certainly not helped matters. I also said this is the year Bill O'Brien gets completely exposed. I didn't think he'd be fired before the end of the year, but I thought this is the year the bottom falls out for Houston, and boy has it ever. Uh, and if, uh, if Romeo Cornell is the answer, then you're asking the wrong question, but this is just to finish out the season. They're not tanking because my Miami Dolphins happen to have their number one pick, so keep losing Houston, please. And then Jacksonville there at the bottom, one and six. After week one, everyone was like, oh, what do you need to tank for Trevor Lawrence for? They have Minshew. Yeah, I think as the season has gone along, we've seen how that goes. So Jacksonville is still in pole position, either for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. And uh, it, it, that, it looks like it's just going to keep going more so in that same direction. But uh, again, Indianapolis and Houston were the, no pun intended, in terms of the playoffs, but the wild cards coming into the season. Tennessee, I think we knew what we were going to get, a team that is playoff caliber, for whatever that means when seven teams now make the playoffs, and Jacksonville, we knew where they were going to be. But you and I had not agreed on Indianapolis and Houston. Those were the two variables. But th this division has not played out other than that in terms of any wild surprises. No, no surprises. We knew Jackson would be terrible. Obviously, I, I didn't disagree with you on Bill O'Brien. I was just more like have Deshaun. You have Deshaun Watson. I mean, I, I, I just, I just was like, I thought that guy could continue to be Superman and hold it together. Um, clearly, that's just not the case. And um, I mean, you talk about a franchise that self-destructed from the inside. Yep. My God. I mean, that's just, uh, it wasn't like they dealt with a bunch of injuries or this or that or, you know, a retirement they didn't expect or, it was just Bill O'Brien, like, sabotaging his team through stupid trades and bad drafting. Um, I, you know, I liked, if you recall, I liked Indianapolis. I told you, I liked their roster. I didn't believe in Phillip Rivers. I think you've got to admit, I wasn't wrong on Phillip Rivers. He's not been good. Basically. It's actually a bit of a testament to the quality of that roster. Sure. Right. I think the Colts are the perfect team in the offseason that if the Jets end up with the number one or two pick or going Lawrence or Fields, to me the, the Colts are the perfect team with Frank Wright to say, here's a second rounder, give us Sam Donald. Right. They are, they, that roster and that line screams to me Let's go make a deal for Sam Darnold. Sure. Um, especially, I, I'm a believer in Frank Reich in terms of quarterback coaching. 
So I, I, I would look for somebody like that in the offseason to make a move and go after him. Um, here's a question for you, Dolphins fan. Mm-hmm. Let's say Houston, and Houston's going to be terrible the rest of the way. I'm sure their only other win will come against the Browns. Um, if they, if they finish 2-14 and 14 and end up with a number two pick. Uh, or, so that goes to Miami. What do you do, Miami? You trade out. Do you? You trade out. You trade out. It, you, st- you, you stick with Tua. Yeah. Pass on Fields. Yes, it's too. It'd be too then, early. I'm just curious. Yeah, no, it's it's too early to pull the plug on Tua. Uh, again, they're playing him right now. They're trying to get an early impression on this, but they didn't set themselves I'll up. I'll tell you right now. I think that's part of the reason why. Yeah, it is. I think. Yeah, they're anticipating that. That's a good point. And I think yes, they're they're gonna they're gonna let it go with Tua because again. You look at what they've been able to do here, uh, Flores in the front office in Miami, the incredible job they're doing. And oh, by the way, if Miami makes the playoffs, Flores might just edge out Stefanski, the coach of my 1A team, might edge out the coach of my 1 team for uh, coach of the year. Uh, but what they could do with a haul of draft picks here, uh, if you could turn that into like a mini Herschel Walker, and I say mini because nobody does the full-on Herschel Walker uh, anymore, or Ricky Williams, if you will. Uh, but what they could do with more picks, ooh, that would be amazing. No, I, I agree, and I think right now, um, I agree with you. I think those are your two frontrunners for Coach of the Year, Stefanski and Flores. Now, one of us was a huge Stefanski advocate. I'll let him sure. name Sure, that's, that's you. Um, yeah. Um, and then Tennessee, look, I think they are what we thought they are. I mean, 9-7, 10-6, you know, um, they may end up, I guess, at 11-5 and five based on schedule. Um, I, I still have a lot of questions. I did on Tannehill. He's outperformed them. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, I think if we look back to the preview, uh, you know, I had these three teams all close together. Obviously, Houston has completely, to your point, bottomed out in a way I didn't anticipate. Um, but Indy has that great roster with a veteran quarterback who just happens to be in his last year in the NFL and he's not very good. Um, and Tennessee, uh, you know, they may end up just being too conservative, you know. Um, maybe their problem eventually. So we'll see. I, but to your point, no surprises in the South. Uh, you know, Jacksonville's a dumpster fire. And, uh, you know, they, they are looking at a total rebuild. My big question to you on Jacksonville is, how much longer are they going to remain in Jacksonville? I mean, really? Is that, is that is the NFL going to allow that to just continue? Well, now that L.A. has been filled, L.A. and Vegas, you have two less obvious markets there. So that will alleviate the pressure. But, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Uh, they're not even building a team that the local market uh, can get behind. I will say, too, my, my only caveat on what you said about Tennessee, that they're about – what we expected, I would say, but not in the way we would have expected. We would have expected a better defense and not as much out of Ryan Tannehill. They're, they're still arriving at their usual 9-7, and seven, but via a different destination than usual. Uh, the AFC West, another one. Again, the AFC having less surprises division by division, perhaps, than the NFC. And uh, not a lot in this division that we would be surprised by. I think probably... It, the collapses down the stretch for the Chargers. There always seems to be something with them. They're two and five. They're bringing up the rear. They have 
They, they've had injuries, uh, to be sure, but they, they should be better than 2-5, and five, particularly with the way Herbert has played at quarterback. Let's start this one working our way up. Denver at 3-4, and four, not a big surprise there. A lot of people thought they were a bubble playoff team. Same people uh, were probably saying the same about uh, Vegas, bubble playoff team, 4-3. and three. That's right about where they are. Kansas City at 7-1, and one, the class of the division by far. Uh, possibly the class of the NFL coming in. My pick for Super Bowl champions, or I'm sorry, to at least uh, win the AFC this year uh, to make it back to the uh, to the Super Bowl anyways. So this is a thing where, like I said, Chargers worse than anticipated, even though, again, they're 2-5 and five with a minus 6-point differential. So the Chargers, how they've played for most of the game, every game, has not been far off from what we expected. Their record has been... Other than that, can you really say there have been any surprises at all to any degree in the AFC West? No, I think that, um, you know, Denver got snake bit by injuries. Yeah. I had them as a playoff team. They were one of, they were one of my surprise playoff teams. Um, and they've had a lot of injuries, and I think that that's really held them back. Um, and, uh, you know, that just may not be recoverable. I mean, and obviously injuries are always part of every season, and, we can derail a season um, if, if they're substantial enough. I mean, and losing, you know, Cortland Sutton right out of the gate, you know, was right. a blow to them amongst others. So, you know, I, I, um, it's not surprising how that's transpired. Look, Vegas is kind of what we thought they would be. You know, uh, a bubble playoff team, hard-nosed physical football. That's the John Gruden way. Um, they came in last week and just, out physical the Browns. Right. I and mean, I think that's the the three losses for the Browns, to me the telltale sign in all three of those losses was they got physically outmatched. Right. I mean they got dominated on both lines physically. But to me that's the biggest concerning thing if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, the physical nature of those losses. Kansas City, look, cream of the crop in the AFC, we knew that was going to be the case. And in fact the they sort of the little hidden secret about them is that their defense has been way better than people are giving credit for. Right. Um, and that, and to your point, probably carries them back to the Super Bowl again this year. The Chargers, man, I can't put my finger on them. I mean, we all knew starting Tyrod Taylor was going to be a disaster. Um, and it was. Um, and unfortunately, what happened to him. But, you know, the reality is, is we all knew he was a, you know, four or five game starter, just like in Cleveland, and then they were going to go to the rookie. Uh, you're not winning anything with Tyron Taylor. Um, I, I just think that, uh, that they, um, they miss, uh, they miss Derwin, right? In the back, in that secondary. Yes, yes they do. I, I just think that, I just think that he is the stud and the glue on that defense. And, 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 you know, that poor guy has just been snake bit with injuries. And uh, in a way, I don't think we anticipated coming out of college because he didn't have that problem in college. No, he didn't. Um, so I, I just, uh, to me, I think that's the Chargers' problem. Uh, that, and I think they need to reevaluate their running game in, in the off season. Um, I think letting Gordon go was probably a mistake. But uh, so I think that's what's sort of given them their faith. That, and they can probably use a new coach. 
Very possibly, too, because, you know, how, how long can you just continue to shrug off these things? I mean, Anthony Lynn seems like a good coach, and they, they don't seem like they've been unsuccessful the last couple of years. They have made the playoffs, I think, at least once since he's been there. But you are getting to the point where it was anticipated that by the time they got to the new stadium that they'd be ready to win. And like you said, Derwin James being out, who we spent a lot of time praising on the preseason show here, him not being in there, yes, that matters. But again, Justin Herbert coming in and doing way better than anticipated as a rookie. Some of that should have evened out, and it certainly hasn't in terms of the one-loss record. Kansas City, like I said, beginning of the year, I understood why a lot of people were going with Baltimore to come out of the AFC because there were only really two teams to pick from, I thought. Nobody really saw Pittsburgh as being yet on that level. And again, I understand nobody tends to repeat very much. New England has a few times over the years, and so there's a tendency to go away from Kansas City. But that wasn't persuasive to me. I saw where Kansas City was. I didn't know that they would you know, expand their defensive prowess any this year. But certainly, like you said, if they did, and they have, that was only going to make them more dangerous. Uh, I'm going with Kansas City uh, to win the AFC as I did at the beginning of the year. Sounds like you now agree with me. I, I do, and... Um... I can't remember the preseason show that I actually, I don't think I actually picked into the playoff. I didn't do that prediction game. Right. Um, uh, I don't, that's not something I normally do to say, oh, this is why I think we'll be in the Super Bowl. I like to playoffs, but then leave it at that. Because you never know what the state of a team will be at the very end. True. Um, obviously, Kansas City was going to be one of the top teams in the league. I mean, that, that right. was without a doubt. I still say the Steelers are, are, Man, it's the Steelers. There's always that three-game losing streak, you know, that Mike Tomlin special in the middle of the year. Yep. Um, I, I still expect that to come. Don't you? Yes. I mean, I just, historically, there's that moment where you suddenly go, they suddenly start playing not up to their potential, and it goes on for several weeks, and everybody goes, what the hell is wrong with the Steelers? Um, I still expect that to come. And, um, you know, I, I right now, it's it, it's it's... To your point, it's clearly Kansas City. I didn't, I, as you know, I'm so critical of Lamar Jackson. I would never have picked Baltimore to go to the Super Bowl with him. Um, and I'm still not going to. Sure. So, um, uh, I expect a swoon by Pittsburgh. Um, again, Baltimore's going to be competitive. They're going to win a lot of games. Um, that defense and that running game are just so good that they are going to win games. And, um, it's it's clearly the class is Kansas City right now of of the of the uh, of the of that of the AFC. I would say Buffalo is a team that if they got hot at the end is built in a way that might give the Chiefs trouble. So just kind of keep an eye on that. Well, that would have a real '90s flair to it if we got a Bills Chiefs AFC championship game. What was the season? I think '93 when that happened, but. Uh... As far as it goes, yeah, as, 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 with Pittsburgh, the, the only thing that scares me... <laughs> yeah, where are, where are you, Christian McCoyer? <laughs> a nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Uh, it, but as, as far as, you know, it goes with Pittsburgh, the cynical part of me as a Steeler hater is that uh, anytime they haven't had to worry about New England, and clearly they don't this year, it's always been clear sailing. It's all from my cynical mind paying bounties to a to a dumb team like the the Rex Ryan Jets to play spoiler and take them out for you, or get, you have other teams do your dirty work for you. Who was it in 05? Was it Denver? They probably collected a fat bounty for fluking it out on New England uh, in that uh, Saturday night playoff game. 
So for, for Pittsburgh, they don't even have to pay a bounty to a team this year to play spoiler. So, you know, that, that part kind of worries me a little bit as far as them sneaking through because they can't beat New England, but uh, anybody else at any time, clearly they have been. But, yeah, I'm going to stay with Kansas City, and we'll see how the AFC plays out. Our next segment will be looking at the NFC at midseason in 2020. I thank my good friend and fellow FDH Lounge original dignitary Chris Galloway for this, and I thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge mini episode 1302.